Our text today is going to be found in Matthew's Gospel again. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, and that is in Matthew chapter 5. And today we're going to pick up in verse 38. And as you're turning there, I want you to consider for just a moment, how do you respond when somebody wrongs you? How do you respond when somebody wrongs you? What is your response when somebody offends you in some way, when they insult you, when they ridicule you and, and put you down? Because for many, many, Christ, uh, many people, and Christians are included in this, many, for many people our response is to get even. We don't get mad, we get even. We, actually, we do get mad and we get even, but we say we don't get mad. Um, we want to get revenge. We want to take whatever people have said, whatever untruth has been told about us, and we want to squash that. We want to uh, assert our rights and insist on those. We, we want to look out for number one. And we may feel that we actually have some biblical basis for doing so, because we like to quote the Old Testament at this point, don't we? We don't like to quote the verse that says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Instead, we like to quote the old verse that says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we may even remember that Jesus quoted that verse at one point. And we may feel like, like God has given us his stamp of approval for getting back at people. An eye for an eye. Let's think about that. Doesn't that make you feel, this makes you feel like, yeah. You don't mess with me, right? We, are, are, we kind of puff our chest out and and, you know, we think, you mess with the bull, you get the horn. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You, you mess with me, you're going to get it. And ironically, that's, that's a similar way of thinking that, to what the Jews had in Jesus' day. And so, again, he's going to set the record straight, and he's going to show, him, uh, show us what his followers should do when they're wrong. Now, if we're not careful, what we do many times is we'll read without thinking. And I, I want us to slow down and look at this because... If we're not careful, we'll read through this passage too quickly and we'll miss what he's saying. Because what Jesus is doing is going to lay down a principle for us and then he applies it both negatively and positively. Okay, and he has quite a bit to say in this passage. So uh, if you found Matthew 5, would you stand with me as we uh, start reading in verse 38 and we'll read to verse 42. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Thank you. May be seated. Now, we could probably uh, hone in on just uh, those individual verses and have a whole sermon on those, but we're going to take them kind of as, as a, a unit because that's the way that they're delivered in this passage. Um, Jesus begins with what the people have been taught, and that is an eye for an eye. And that was partially right. In fact, it was a direct quotation from the Old Testament. Now, my Bible, I don't know if yours is like this, but mine, whenever it quotes, uh, there's a quotation from the Old Testament in the New, mine puts it in all caps, and mine's in all caps there. And that is a direct quotation from the Old, question, uh, the Old Testament. The problem is not the quotation. The problem is the application. See, the, the Jews were real good about quoting this but misapplying it because God's original intent with this precept was clear. As you read through the Old Testament and find this, uh, this phrase or this verse uh, occurring, you'll see that it was given in a judicial context. In other words, this was meant to make sure that the punishment fit the crime. It was given to judges and magistrates and something like that. And, and the purpose of it was so that the judge could, could remember, oh yeah, 
He knocked that guy's tooth out. He doesn't get the death penalty. But also meant that, oh yeah, he knocked that guy's tooth out. He doesn't get a slap on the wrist. It was to keep him from being too severe, but also uh, too easy on him. But what the Jews had done, they had misapplied this, and they had taken it from a judicial context and made it a personal one. So now instead of the judges and, and the legal system meeting out justice like it should have been, the people who were meeting out justice was the person who had been wronged. Now we've all heard of the, the feud between the Hatfields and McCoys, and we all know if somebody does something to us and we want to get back at them, do we, do we make it an even thing? Not usually. Usually we want to, we want to do what they've done to us but then we want to up it just a little bit, right? Maybe it's because, you know, that's just the way we feel. It's, you know, you, you don't know the anguish you call, cost me, so I'm going to cost you this amount of anguish. Or sometimes it's, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make sure that you understand you are not going to do that again, right? And so we up it just a little bit. And then they say, well, you, you've wronged me in this way, so then they up it a little bit. And so it gets into all kinds of troubles. And that's what was happening in the Jews day, in Jesus' day with the Jews. They had said, you know what? We basically have God's stamp of approval for our vendettas. We're, we're going we're gonna to settle these things outside the judicial system. And, and basically we think we've got God's okay because after all he did say, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And, and so they thought he was almost encouraging their revenge. So here's the context. When Jesus was on the scene, they had so misapplied and misunderstood God's intent, they were doing the exact opposite of what he wanted. So Jesus is going to lay down a precept in, in verse uh, 39, and then he's going to apply that. Now look at, look at verse 39 again. The answer to their problem is the principle of non-retaliation. He says, do not resist an evil person. Or your Bible may say, do not resist evil. Now, this, that's misunderstood today, and it has been throughout the ages because some people think that we should just sit back and, and be completely passive. We should not stand up for what's right. We should not be involved in military if somebody wrongs us in any way. Even if they're attacking us, we should not protect ourselves. And, and so they've misunderstood what Jesus is saying. Now, listen, there are people who say if, if you're being attacked or if your family's being attacked, you should not defend yourself or your family. That's wrong. Okay, you attack me, you attack Jesse, you attack Scarlett. Um, that's that's not going to work. And I think it's clear as you look throughout Scripture that the way uh, Jesus applies this and and all of what Scripture says, it doesn't support that idea of being completely passive. For instance, okay, do not resist evil. Do not resist an evil person. Does that mean that we're not to stand up for what's right in this world? Does that mean that we're not to try to slow down the moral decay that we see around us? Of course that's not what it's saying because earlier in this chapter, what did Jesus say? He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And what does salt do? It slows down decay. Part of a Christian's job is to slow down the moral decay in, in the society. So we're to stand up for what's right. We're to stand up for those who have no voice. We're to be salt. What about the faith? Should we stand up for the faith? Sure. Peter said... Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. All, all over the place in the epistles we see where, uh, where we are told to confront and correct error and heresy. Uh, Peter, uh, or Paul, resisted Peter. He stood up against him in the book of Galatians. The Bible says we should resist the devil. So this is not an absolute 
command to be passive. We have to take what he's saying in context, and the context of his of his words are retaliation. Somebody wrongs us, and our natural response is to wrong them. They do evil to us, we're going to do evil to them. And Jesus says, don't do that. Because when you respond to evil with evil, you become exactly what you're supposed to be resisting, which is evil. Okay? And, and so, so we're supposed to be opposed to evil as Christians. And, and, and it's the, the same basic idea that Paul lays out in Romans. You remember that one verse? He says, don't be overcome by evil, but do what? Overcome evil with good. And that's the same thing that Jesus is saying. So how's this going to look in the real world? Well, uh, if you look in verse 39 and following, he applies this. And he first starts with this now famous phrase, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Now people have done quite a number on this uh, teaching. Some, as I said before, have even suggested that if someone is physically attacking you, you should not defend yourself. Now, what exactly is, is he saying? I, I, I think if we'll observe carefully and think about this, it's going to help us. And to, to help us work through this, I've enlisted the help of Adam. So Adam, when you come up here, Adam's going to demonstrate turning the other cheek. And you know it's good whenever the, the, whenever the preacher takes off his coat for this. Now, what do we usually think? We think that if turning the other cheek, we think that somebody is hitting like that, or maybe elbowing or kicking or whatever it is. You're a good sport, Adam. Now, I want you to look at the text because the text will undo a lot of preaching that you'll hear. What does it say in verse, um, verse 39? It says, I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps. There's the first thing. It's not this. It's a slap. And Jason, Mandy, you guys can pay me a little bit, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll make a mistake here if, if you want. <laughs> so, we have a slap. That's the first thing. But where does it say they get hit? On the right cheek. Now, Adam, would you hold up your right hand? Okay, so his right side's on this side. Thank you. Put it down. 90%, from what I've read, about 90% of the population of the world is right-handed. So, if I'm taking this hand, this is my right hand, and I'm hitting him on this side. Now, I guess I could be doing like a back knuckle strike. But most likely, what am I doing? Backhanding. This is not meant to hurt him. It might sting a little bit. But this, what is this? It's demeaning. It's an insult, right? has been throughout the ages. Thank you. So... So I say that because we read this and say, oh, well, he's saying if anybody does something bad to you, no matter what it is, even if somebody jumps you in the alley, you, sh you should just sit back and let them beat on you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying somebody insults you, they, uh, they, they, uh, they treat you wrong, they say something bad about you, even if it's a physical assault, turn the other cheek. Now this, this backhanded slap... And, of course, Jesus lived in a, an honor-shame culture. And uh, from what I've read, if you slapped somebody like usual, there was a fine for that. But if you backhanded them, that fine was doubled. 
It, it was a, an egregious insult or assault. Now, we can't make a, a huge deal of this because in Luke, who also records the Sermon on the Mount, the wording is just simply someone who strikes you on the cheek. But what is the picture that we get in, in Matthew? When we are wronged, even physically, if it's not putting us in danger, we should not respond with revenge. Now, I'm not saying we can't defend ourselves, but we shouldn't seek revenge. See, we shouldn't attack back to get even. We should be willing to endure even a repeated attack or insult, as we see by what? Turn the other cheek. Oh, if you want to call me a, you know, whatever, well, I'll let you do it again because I'm not going to get back at you. You say, oh, but I can't put up with that. Well, if you're a Christian, you can, and that's what you should do. Now, we see that we should follow the spirit of the command more than the hyperbolic language of the command because what did Jesus do? You remember there's that time that he was standing before the Sanhedrin at his trial, and he spoke to the high priest. Somebody hit him. Did he literally turn the other cheek and say, let's do it again? No. Now, he firmly but mildly rebuked the person who did it and confronted that, but he didn't literally turn the other cheek. So we see it's more the spirit of the command than the actual physical act of turning to the other side. I like what one commentator said. He said, It is the preparedness after one indignity not to invite but submit meekly to another without retaliation, which this strong language is meant to convey. In other words, um, if somebody does your own, don't get, don't get even. Now, that's tough to live out. We need to not take revenge when people have wronged us. The, the law of love should be our guide. And this is especially true when somebody hurts our pride. Right? When, well, I can't believe they said that to me in front of everybody. It would be bad enough if it was in private. I can't believe they did that. I've got to do something to show everybody you can't talk to me that way. You know, it, it, it hurts us. It hurts our dignity, and we want to stand up. It inflames those passions. But listen, your kid insults you. Your parent insults you. Your coworker, your boss insults you. Treats you bad. Jesus says, bear with it. Now, that's not saying somebody's abusing you. You have to stay in that situation. not saying somebody's abusing you. Just let them beat on you. But he's saying don't insist on your rights. Don't take revenge. Don't wrong them because they've wronged you. happens in churches all the time. People say, oh, well, preacher, he thanked everybody else, and here I was. I worked just the same as everybody else did, and I didn't get my name mentioned. All right? Stomp her foot, get mad. Don't insist on your rights. Matthew Henry Will said, If any say flesh and blood cannot pass by such an affront, let them remember that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And those who act upon right principles will have the most peace and comfort. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. Turn the other cheek. Verse 40, he applies it a little bit differently, and he applies it this time in a legal context. He says, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. He had in mind a person who is litigious. Somebody... And we live in a litigious society. I mean, everybody wants to sue everybody over everything, right? And uh, we, you probably all heard of some of those stupid lawsuits. I've heard about some guy that, uh, I think it's Winnebago or something. Uh, he said, said it on auto, and uh, he was driving down the road, said on auto, and got up to go make him a sandwich or something and wrecked. And he was real mad because 
uh, the companies, it says it's auto. He was saying like autopilot, but no, it's cruise. You know, you still have to drive it. And he's suing because he wrecked his Winnebago. That's, that's not very smart. Now, there, we live in a society where everybody wants to sue everybody. Over, you know, you dump hot coffee in your lap. Hey, it's hot. Wow. Imagine that. You don't have to sue somebody because it's hot. He has in mind the person who, who's wanting to sue over everything. He's wanting to pester you. He's wanting to, to even take away your shirt, to take the shirt off your back. Now, we don't really understand their mode of clothing so much, and so this is kind of lost on us. But if you look in verse 40 again, he talks about a shirt, or your Bible may say a tunic. That's the clothing that's worn directly on the body, and people would have had a few of those. But the coat, or your Bible may say the cloak, was uh, the more expensive garment. It was what they put on over it. Kind of like my shirt, my coat. You remember when Jesus was on the cross, the, the Roman guards they took his cloak that, that was seamless, and they uh, they didn't want to divvy it up, they didn't want to divide it, and so they cast lots for his clothing. That's the piece of clothing that they were casting lots over. It was more expensive, and probably most of those people only had one. Now the Old Testament law protected people and their cloaks. In fact, if if you read through the Old Testament, it says. You could take a cloak or a coat as uh, kind of like collateral if, you're, if somebody's borrowing money from you, but you couldn't keep it overnight because not only did the people wear those things during the day, they also uh, covered up with them. And he said, the, the, Bible, the, the Old Testament law says, you have to give it back to them by nightfall. So Jesus is saying in verse 40, there's a person that wants to take a Christian to court, take the, the shirt right off their back and wrong them, and he says it's better to give that person what they want plus some stuff than to try to get revenge in court. And we can probably think of times when, when we've heard of a situation where it would have been better just to give the person what they wanted plus a little bit instead of having, having the court divvy up the goods. Again, the general teaching is try to avoid lawsuits. And we have to... Listen, we have to read what Jesus is saying with some common sense. Okay? Because a lot of what he says is, is spoken in, in hyperbole. It's, it's exaggerated for effect. We, we have to recognize, first of all, this is all personal stuff. He is not saying this uh, a nation should protect its borders from their military, any of that stuff. He is not saying that if it's one person suing a group of people because it's not your right to give up somebody else's property sign that over. That's not what he's talking about. And he's, it's obviously he's not saying, you know what, if somebody hears that you're just giving up your shirt and your, your coat and they say, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'm going to take advantage of that too. And they start making demands of you. You have to just give away everything that you have so that you're walking around don't have a, a stitch of clothes on your body. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we need to hold even our possessions loosely because it's better to part with them than to get involved in lawsuits and, and try to get revenge in that way. And the last thing I, I want to draw your attention to, as far as the negative application goes, is that we should cheerfully turn an unjust requirement into a chance to serve. He talks about going the second mile. Again, we're so far removed from their situation, it's hard to bridge the gap, but this is occupied territory language. Back then, and, and really it started with the Persians, they didn't have post office, they didn't have the phone, they didn't have the internet, so they couldn't send an instant message, they couldn't text somebody, they couldn't call them. They had to send 
word from point A to point H. And you couldn't do it just by sticking an envelope in the mail and wishing it well. Instead, it was kind of like our country had the Pony Express a long time ago. They did kind of like that uh, with Persia and later Rome. And they would have posts every so often on the road about a day's ride apart. And so the king would, would send out a message from point A, and then that guy would ride about a day's ride to point B, and then a new guy would take over with a fresh horse, and he'd ride to point C, and so on and so forth, until it got to its destination. But they had a law on the books that said, and this is just my paraphrase, of course, that said if one of those couriers, one of those postmen, so to speak, if they need some help, you're obligated to give it to them. So let's say guy A, messenger A, is riding and his horse uh, falls in a hole, hurts himself, and you happen to be passing by with your horse, and he says, give me your horse. He said, I'm going to see my folks. I haven't seen them in, in ten years. Too bad. You give him your horse, you can go on foot. And the law said there's no pardon for refusing it. So if you, if you said no... Well, you were going to be strung up. Now, this is exactly what happened at the crucifixion. You remember, Jesus was passing by with the cross, and there's Simon of Cyrene standing there. What did they do? You carry the cross. They put him into service. Exactly the same thing. Now, the Jews were proud people, and they hated this because the Romans, you know, the military, they would say, you can carry my gear. And the Roman law said you had to do it one mile. Roman, Roman mile was a thousand paces. You carry that... A thousand paces. So they'd have to shoulder up all their gear and they'd have to carry it while that Roman soldier is walking by. He wouldn't have to carry anything. They're carrying all their stuff. They count every step. A thousand paces came, that was it. They wouldn't take one more step. And can you blame them? I, I wouldn't want to do it. And so Jesus says that literal situation carries truth today. And that is somebody may force you or require you. They may use their position to make you do something. It may be an unjust thing. They may be trying to manipulate you to do something. That first mile may, that first mile may be required, but the second mile you can do out of love. And how do you think you should do both of those miles? Well, you can do it a couple different ways. You can, you can make it clear by your actions, by your attitude. I'm going to do what you say, but as soon as I'm done with this, you you can forget it. I'm not talking to. I'm I'm done. I wash my hands of you, right? Or you can do it with a smile. And I don't mean bearing the fangs. I mean a smile. You can be cheerful. You can make the best of it. You can serve. And when you go above and beyond, here's what you do. You take their attempt to manipulate to manipulate you, to force you to do something, to be unkind to you. You take that and turn it into an opportunity to serve them with love. You want to get you want to get somebody? Take somebody that's going to be, yeah, I'm going to get them to do this, and you go above and beyond and do it with a smile? Guess what that's going to do? That's going to be a witness to them, if nothing else. They might just see burning coals upon their head. But what did Paul say anyway? He said, do your work heartily, ask for the Lord, not us, not us to men anyway. Now those are some negatives. Those are some don'ts. And frankly, those are some tough things, aren't they? We could, we could have ended it after the first thing, and been, that, that's enough to wrestle with the whole week. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He applies this in a positive sense, too. He said, you know what? That is so tough. 
I can't do it because that is unnatural. And that's the point. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And that's what we're to do. So he finishes up in verse uh, in verse 42. And he applies this in a positive sense. He says, Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away him who wants to borrow from you. And you might be thinking to yourself, Are you going to ask to borrow some of my tools, Pastor? Is that why you're preaching this? That's, that's, not what, that, that's not what he has in mind. Jesus finishes up this by telling us that we should not only live by the law of love, which does not retaliate, it does not insist on our rights, it, does not, uh, uh, it bears patiently when somebody insults us, when somebody wrongs us, when they ask us to do something that really, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have any business asking us to do sometimes. But he says we also need to have a generous spirit. And he gives us what seems to be, on the surface, an unrealistic command to give and to loan to those who ask. Again, we have to understand his comments in context. At the time of Christ, the land of Palestine was filled with lepers and blind people and those who were lame. And they, they literally depended on the kindness of others just to survive. They didn't have welfare. They didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have any of that. And if they didn't get help, they were going to starve. Now, Jesus said we should have a generous spirit with those folks. We should put others' needs before our own. You say, now, how do you make a leap from give to, give to those who ask to those who have a need? On the Old Testament law, the only lending that was to be done was for benevolent purposes. In other words, if somebody had a real need, a physical need, uh, there, was, there was to be giving. You were to be generous even back in the Old Testament. Now, there were, there were and there still are people who are less fortunate, and they will ask you for something. And if there is a real physical need, if it is a real legitimate need, and you have the means, help them. But then, you know, there are those people who are too proud to beg. And they say, I'd rather go hungry than to ask somebody for help. And I think that's who he's talking about with the loan. See, in, 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 the old, uh, in, in Jesus' time, the rabbis had said, you know what, there are going to be people who are too proud, to, too proud to beg. They can ask you for a loan. You can loan it to them and never ask for it to be paid back. And I think that's kind of what's in mind here because, because uh, the principle is that we should be generous even to those people who do us wrong. Again, we have to read this in light of the rest of Scripture because we know, for instance, the Bible says that we should show preference to those of the household of faith. There are people who are hungry. The first people you help are other Christians. You say, but I think we should help out uh, non-believers first. Well, that's not what Paul says. That's not what the, the Bible says. You should show preference to those of the household of faith. You should take care of your own first. Also, the Bible says that, that um, uh, the person who doesn't take care of their family is worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. They've denied the faith. And so if you're trying to give so much that you're taking away from your, your wife, your family, that's wrong. Don't do that. I also think, you know, there are those people who are able-bodied, but they're lazy and idle, and they refuse to work. I don't think this applies to them. Because what does Paul say? If you don't work, you don't eat. We are not, Jesus does not command us to subsidize sloth. But don't we want to use that as an excuse not to help out anybody? I think we go so far to the other side that we say, well, now, they're probably just taking advantage. Oh, I, you know, they, I, bet they, I bet they have a nice car and they're just, you know, whatever. No, we shouldn't use that as an excuse to not, not help out anybody ever. 
We need to be generous but have some discernment. Now, folks, this is tough stuff. But as Christians, we should follow the example set by Jesus. When we're wronged, don't demand your rights. Don't try to avenge yourself. Because inherent in his instruction is this. Somebody has wronged me. The God that I serve can take care of that. He is big enough, and he knows all the ins and outs. He knows all the details. Vengeance is his. I don't have to sweat it. Because God's going to take care of it. I don't have to be the one to be God's hatchet, man. He'll take care of it. You know what? He does a lot better job than we do anyhow. He'll take care of his people. And therefore, we can accept injustice without retaliation. That's what Jesus did. And maybe you've got some situation in your life right now. People have done your own. And man, you just want to sock it to them. You, you just want to... Boy, if you, if you just... You know, somebody... It's a post that I saw on Facebook... Lord, give me patience, because if you give me strength, I'll need a lawyer or something like that. It, but that's the way that's the way we feel so many times. Boy, if God had just let me, oh boy, I could really work that person. Yeah, you know, we could. We just have all these plans, and maybe we just need to step back and let God take care of the revenge. It's not our place. Just let God work it out. It's not comfortable. Be willing to suffer wrong. Don't now. Don't go looking for for somebody to wrong you. That's dumb. Okay, but be willing to suffer whenever it comes. The example that Christ left us is, is just that. When, there, when people were on him, he dealt with it. He put up with it. As one author put it, according to Jesus, it is more important to give justice and mercy than to receive it. And I really like that. It's more, imper- it's more important to give justice and mercy than to receive it. You can't control what this person's doing. You can control what you do. You, can, you can't control how they act towards you, but you can control how you respond. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You do the right thing. I, I think I'd be remiss if we talked about receiving mercy if we don't talk about receiving mercy from God. Because none of us deserve it. We've all wronged each other. We've all wronged God. We've sinned. And the Bible says there is mercy for that. There's forgiveness. It's undeserved. It's freely given. If we'll accept it by faith, we will call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says all who do that shall be saved. And there might be somebody here, I don't, I don't know your heart, but if you never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do that today. And I'd encourage you to do that.